Thanks, guys. Appreciate you very much. Uh, the Townsends are awesome people. If you don't know them, you should say hi. And thanks for reading, and thanks for being awesome. Um, so in the last few weeks, uh, I've been thinking about what we just read, John chapter 1, the beginning of the Gospel of John. I've been thinking about this light imagery, and one of the things that popped in my head was uh, a really fond memory from childhood. Uh, growing up, I had the opportunity to experience a lot of things that I have come as an adult to realize are pretty unique. This is what happens when your dad is, uh, is, is in a band and he races dirt bikes and he's an auto racing photographer. You get exposed to all kinds of interesting things. Um, being an auto racing photographer, uh, we around the Indy, time of the Indy 500, some of you, if, if you know auto racing at all, Indy 500's kind of a big race. If you don't know auto racing at all or the Indy 500, no worries. It's not that big of a deal. You're not missing out on much. But uh, the Indy 500 is a big deal, and my dad would shoot pictures at these races. And so on race day, which is Memorial Day weekend, we would get up really early. My grandparents lived just south of Indianapolis, and we would stay there overnight. And we'd get up in the middle of the night, at least it felt so to me, maybe 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, and we'd drive into the track and uh, my dad would be off to work as soon as the light was not there yet. It was still dark, and I would sleep in his Mustang until the light came up on race day or I heard car engines, uh, and then I would wake up and I would just run around the infield of this two-and-a-half-mile racetrack with 100,000 other strangers. It was a simpler time then, and so this is this was my childhood, and I recognize now that that's a unique thing, but that was just life growing up. But the, the, the thing that reminded me, this light imagery, uh, more than anything, it reminded me of being in the dark room with my dad. A dark room is, is where you develop film, where you, where you print pictures. And so uh, this was before digital and before Photoshop. So he couldn't take a picture and then look on the back and say, oh, that's a good one, or I'll fix that in Photoshop. It was kind of hidden. It was this hidden surprise inside the film of the camera. You'd take the picture, and then you'd take that film, and you would develop it in a dark room and make prints of it and hope that you got good images. And that discovery, something about that I just really loved as a kid growing up. And so what would happen is my dad would get back from a race and we would take the film into the dark room, which also doubled as the one bathroom in my single wide trailer that I grew up in. And so we'd go into this room and he'd put tape around the door and he'd stuff a towel at the bottom because no light could get into a dark room. It, it would ruin the photo paper. Uh, so it had, to be a, it had to be very dark. You could use a little red light and that wouldn't ruin the photo paper, but he would put it in this machine, this negative machine, and it would project this dull image to a flat surface below where you would, you would kind of square up the image and be like, oh, that's a good one or this isn't a good one. But then he would always call me over and he'd say, does this look good? And it always looked great. Uh, he'd focus it in. And then the surprising part of the process happens after that. Once the, once the image is set and you say, we want to make a print of this on this it's seemingly just paper. It just looks like white paper. But in this dark room, a burst of light would come through the machine down onto the surface below, and it would essentially burn the image into the paper. Without that light in that specific way, the beautiful image would never be seen. You'd, you'd never get a good image out of it. But with that light, that specific light in that specific way, at that specific amount of time, it would burn onto the paper a beautiful image or a potentially beautiful image, and the paper would be changed in the process. But without that disruption of light in the darkness, the potentially beautiful thing would never get seen. As we've said, we're beginning this Advent season. Advent is a Latin word that means coming. It's a time that the church, for as long as the church has existed, has used as a time of preparation to remember with great joy the coming of Jesus into the world. It's a time where we remember that God breaks into darkness with light, and the greatest light was the grace 
of the birth of Jesus. But there's something more to Advent. It's not just looking back. Because we can know the character of God. If the character of God is one that breaks into darkness with light, we can trust in his character to do it again and again and again. And so that's why we come to Advent. That's why Advent is important. Not because it happened some time ago, but because it's happening. So this season is about expecting a disruption that actually leads to hope, which can be a a surprising thing. It's a little bit of a strange thing to think of a disruption as something that can bring hope because disruption is usually seen as a bad thing. Say I'm, I'm in the office and I'm, and I'm working on something and uh, I'm kind of a head down worker. As soon as I get going on something, it's hard to break me out of it. And if there's, if there's a disruption to that, I, it's actually it's hard for me to be nice uh, to someone who disrupts me when I'm, when I'm working. Uh, so I try really hard, but I'm not great at it. Uh, but that's not usually seen as a good thing, at least to me. Maybe I'm after a long day sitting down or you're sitting down reading a book. And you're like, I just want a little moment of silence. And then the doorbell rings or the phone rings or you get a text message that needs your attention. And all of a sudden it's a disruption and it's not seen as a good thing because you kind of had your, your kind of way of going. Maybe you're, you're sleeping and it's been a long week and you're like, I just want to sleep in a little bit. But you forget to close the blinds before you go to bed that night. And so light comes in early in the morning and, it, and it's like, oh, gosh, I wish I could have just slept longer. But the light is waking me up. It's a disruption. So maybe you're... In the middle, you could be in the middle of a disruption like that or something that's like possibly far more serious. Maybe, maybe the loss of a job or a loved one moves away or your car breaks down. Those are obviously disruptions that are more challenging. So if you are in the middle of a disruption that you don't want and, and you didn't ask for and you come into this room, you may be saying like, well, what, what does Advent mean for me? Because maybe you come to Advent feeling like this question, maybe you haven't said it out loud, maybe you, maybe you would never say it out loud, but it's like, God, where are you in all of this? But what seems to return to you is just silence. This has been a, a season of disruption for the, for the Abbott family, for us. Many of you know that, that 2018 has been a hard year for us. Um, we've lost uh, more than a few people that are really close to us and really special people to us, incredibly beautiful reflections of Jesus in this world. Dear friends, my, my mother-in-law, we've, we've, we've lost them. And uh, there have been times in, in, this, in this season of losing people, of having to say goodbyes, we don't want to say where we've felt lonely, where, where, where things have been just off-center, where, where we're trying to find our balance, where we feel like we're reeling and struggling to find our footing in the world, your support through this process has been such a, a great help to us and the comfort that we've gotten from that really has mattered. So thank you for that. But the best analogy that I've heard, and it comes from C.S. Lewis, so I'm borrowing from him, uh, when you lose someone who's really close to you like that, who's, who's really core to how you move through the world, how you do life, is like an amputation. And I know that's a bit dramatic of an analogy and it probably breaks down in more than a few places, but it's actually been kind of helpful for me to think about, it feels like you have to relearn how to walk through the world, how to move through the world. And uh, you, you, your kind of way of moving that's always been there is just different now. It's gone and it's not coming back and, and that can be disorienting. And you can pretend like nothing's happened, like everything is fine, but you end up just frustrated and, and stumbling through life. Obviously that type of pain, that type of loss is an unwelcome distraction. And it can lead to us being less than hopeful. But on the other hand, there's 
maybe a different way of entering into Advent. Maybe things in your life as you come into Advent are, are exactly how you would want them. Like things are just right. You, you've made it. Everything's working just right. Everything's moving in the right direction with your family and your work and your relationships. Uh, and even though things are busy, they're, they're, they're going as planned. And that's how you've walked in to Advent. And being disrupted would be probably seen as a bad thing because you kind of want things to stay the way they are. So disruption is usually seen as a bad thing. But to say that disruption is always a bad thing is actually, it's not true. Sometimes we need disruption, not disruption of darkness, but we need disruption of light to jolt us awake. So Advent is, is about disruption. And we can see it as good or bad depending on how we look at it. But more than anything, what this season is doing over the next couple of weeks, what, what we'll be doing and wrestling with together, wrestling with together and, and what this season invites us into is to be open to the idea that no matter who we are, no matter how good things are, no matter how bad things are, it invites us to be open to the idea that we actually need to be disrupted. And John 1 puts us face to face with a God who disrupts. He disrupts darkness and chaos and brings light and life. Jared Neron read it, but I'll read it again, uh, the first part of it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That's how John chooses to start his gospel. He jumps right into the good news. It's, it's jarring. It's as though the good news can't wait for you to be ready for it. It just has to burst out. Thomas Aquinas, one of the church fathers, said it this way. While the other gospels uh, look at the humanity of Jesus as central, John begins with the divinity of Jesus being central. See, Matthew and Luke, other gospel writers in particular, their gospels begin by walking us through the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, But John starts in a different way. He starts with the so much more of Jesus. It's as though John doesn't want us to mistake the idea that, that Jesus, is, Jesus is just a good man or a good teacher. He is a good man, and he is a good teacher. But John wants us to recognize the so much more of Jesus right off the bat. See, Jesus is the very essence of God, the very word of God, the very logos in the Greek of God, who is always been. And so John starts with three words that take us back as far as we can possibly go in the beginning. See, those words, in the beginning, that's how the Bible starts. Genesis chapter one, the first book of the Bible starts this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless, disordered and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was. See, the world was formless, disordered, chaotic, it was dark. And there's a certain static nature to disorder and chaos, to, to darkness. If you've gone through a time of struggle, you, you, you can identify with this. There's a static nature to it. It just seems like it's going to keep going and going and going forever, that there's no relief from it, that chaos just keeps building on chaos, and it just keeps going and going and going. But God disrupts that. Darkness always causes God to say, let there be light, always. So he spoke into the darkness, and the world was changed to display something that it simply couldn't have before. The rest of Genesis chapter 1 is 
a description of the beauty that he creates, the sky, the sea, the land, vegetation, living creatures, humanity, like a master architect building something that was previously and by any other designer would have been unimaginable and impossible. See, without the disruption of light, the potentially beautiful world that God created would never have been. So God's first disruption, right there at the beginning of the Bible, brought life and light out of darkness and chaos. And the Jesus disruption is exactly like the first one. See, the two are connected. When Jesus came into the world, when he was born in a cattle stall, there was a similar silence and chaos. Prior to Jesus' birth, God had this way of drawing near to his people to remind them that he was close, to remind them that they were loved, to remind them that he had a plan and a purpose for them that was worth trusting in. Even in times of crisis, he would speak through messengers, these special messengers called prophets, like Isaiah, who said even when things were kind of chaotic and and seemed hard to understand, God was going to break in. He was going to draw near to the brokenhearted like a light breaks in and destroys darkness of night. Isaiah put it this way, to the people living in darkness, they've seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And this breaking of God's life, it was believed, would be connected with a Messiah, a Savior, an individual who would lead Israel, all of God's chosen people, all of them back home from exile. No matter where they were, they would all come back home, back together to be a family, and they'd be led back together through his, the Savior's, great light. And it was believed that at any moment God was going to make this happen. All the signs of his advent had come to pass. It was time for God to break in and set things right, and their glory would burst forth into the world. But it had been four hundred years of long, long silence since God had spoken through a prophet. I don't know if you're here this morning and you have been waiting for something and you've been longing for something. If that's you, you're not alone. God's people had waited and waited and waited for God to break in, to change things, to do things differently. They'd waited and waited, but the last people to hear from God directly through a prophet would have been your great, 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 great grandfather. 10 generations, 400 years. The U.S. wasn't even a country 400 years ago. This isn't like four months without a job, which is an absolutely awful thing. This is 400 years of waiting for God to change things, and it just seems silent. It seems like God has left everyone in the dark. It was dark. Abby and I have been uh, introducing our children to movies that we loved growing up. Um, this is important cultural knowledge for our kids. And so we've been watching things like Sandlot, which was great, uh, and a little more PG-13 than I remember. Um, so Sandlot and then Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, that, the, the old one, not the new one, of course, my, whatever Michael Bay did with it. Um, but the old one, the, they say potty words a lot in that too, just as a disclaimer. Um, but most recently we watched uh, The NeverEnding Story. Anybody The NeverEnding Story? Um, you owe it to yourself to watch The NeverEnding Story because it holds up. It was one of my favorite movies uh, growing up as a kid. Here's the basic premise. A boy finds a book, and, it, and the book is about a fantasy land where a child is chosen to save this 
a magnificent world from something called the nothing. The nothing is taking over and everything is disappearing into darkness. Now, the twist in the movie is that the boy who finds the book and is reading it isn't just reading the book. He's actually part of the story. And I would say spoiler alert, but it came out in like 87. So I think the statute of limitations have passed. So anyway, he's actually in the story. And at the end, the climactic event where everything seems like it's been destroyed and and all the beauty of the world is gone, he stands, the boy who is reading the book, stands in front of the princess, the only thing that's left of this world. And he asks her, he says, why is it so dark? And the princess says in the beginning, it's always dark. But that's not the end of the story. Because even though it is dark, the darkness is the beginning of the beauty of this new world coming into existence. The darkness isn't the end, it's actually the beginning. And so the end of the movie shows the boy who was reading the book, he's now flying around in this, in this new creation, this new place uh, that's, been, that's been made by his own uh, imagination. Uncertainty, the unknown, new beginnings, they always feel dark and formless. But it doesn't mean the potential for light and beauty don't exist. See, new beginnings don't happen without a disruption. And we might try to avoid disruption, but like a light hitting that photo paper, the potentially beautiful thing doesn't get seen without it. It doesn't come into existence without the light. And we might want to sleep through it or stay distracted through whatever darkness we are experiencing and say, I can't wait until this season is over. But what if you anticipated God might use this very season to do something for you, but also to do something in you? Though we'd never ask for it, is it possible that the darkness is the beginning of something beautiful? If you felt chaotic, if you've been in a season that has just felt chaotic, questions that come in seasons of chaos are are like, God, why is my marriage such a mess? God, why, why can't I get better? I'm trying so hard, but I can't get better. God, why does it seem so hard? I just can't get moving. God, why can't I catch up? Why is there so much and it just seems to keep piling on and piling on and piling on and I'm constantly overwhelmed? Why can't I catch up? If you feel like things are chaotic and dark for you, light showed up to order the chaos and bring peace and hope and direction. And because it did, we can trust that it will. It's worth anticipating light showing up again. Maybe for you, things have felt too quiet. Maybe you've been holding on to hope for so long, it seems foolish at this point. Maybe you don't feel like you've heard from God. You've longed to, you've wanted God to say something to you, but you just don't feel like you've heard from him. Or maybe it's even beyond that. Maybe you just stop asking. You stop longing at all because God was silent for so long. He's clearly not on your team if he's on anybody's team because it's been so long. Light showed up, and because it did, Advent reminds us that it's worth anticipating light showing up again. Because here's the thing, light, uh, God didn't just, just give us his word. He didn't just do that, although that's a gift that he gave us his word. He actually sent his word to us. What John is telling us in this chapter one is that God talks to his people, most specifically, most specially in the life of Jesus. And we long to know what God is all about. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we all long, like, is there a God? And if there is, like, what's he about? Why does he do things differently? Why does he do things this way and not this way? What is God all about? We want to know what he thinks. 
in Jesus, his most personal word, God has spoken to us in the most human way possible. God is a personal God. It shouldn't surprise us at all that when he wanted to draw near, he just came the whole way. And he gave us his innermost thoughts in his word, in his deed, as he came and he lived and he breathed and he walked among us. The word became flesh and it dwelt among us. God wanted his very being to be known and experienced. So just like he broke into this world at, at the dawn of time with new creation, he brought new creation and new life through Jesus. See, God's first disruption in Genesis 1, it brought light and life out of darkness and chaos. And the Jesus disruption is just like the first one. Think, think about the shepherds in the field. On the night Jesus is born in Bethlehem that, that Luke talks about in his gospel. Think about shepherds. In that time, no upward mobility for shepherds. There was no, like, if we work hard enough, we'll, we'll be able to, to parlay this business into something else and we'll have upward mobility and we'll have influence and power in our community. No, not for them. They were outcasts. They were looked down upon. When they entered town, they were called dirty and stupid. Hope for them would have seemed in almost every way foolish until that foolish hope resulted in everything being changed for them. Maybe not in the timing they want, not, maybe not even in the way they imagined, but better than they could have imagined. God came to them. The dark night sky, it opens up and a great light and the angel chorus say, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace. And then they head off to see how God was going to change everything, how he's going to bring this peace into the world. And they find a baby in a manger who would be the savior. Christmas reminds us to hold on. In him is life. And that life is a light of all mankind. God disrupts darkness and chaos to bring light and life. But the scope, the breadth is actually really important because he came to bring life to all. If you were not Jewish in the time Jesus was born and you were in Palestine, uh, but you were interested in the God of the scriptures, so you weren't Jewish culturally, but, but you were interested in this God, you would be allowed to uh, come near worship. So just like we're here worshiping, you know, we're here, we're gathered in a sanctuary. Uh, in Jesus' day, if someone was interested in the God that we are worshiping, but they weren't culturally uh, one of us, they, they, could, they could come, but it'd be like a crack in the door. They could stand at the outside and they could hear us pray and they could hear us read scripture and they could hear us worship together, but they couldn't fully participate in it. And so if you were uh, someone who was interested in God, but weren't culturally Jewish, you would stand outside the synagogue and you would hear worship going on. And the thing you would see more than anything else, uh, because it's for electricity, obviously, right? Um, you would see a dim light in the back of, like in the far wall that was giving light to the whole space, but it was so far away from you, it just seemed dim. That is a, a light where they would hold uh, the special elements of worship. Maybe they had a scroll of Isaiah or some other oracle of sorts, and they would cover it uh, in, in expensive coverings, and there would be a, a veil holding it back. And it would be far and it would be a dim light way over there that you could never access and you could never get close. Part of the disruption that Jesus came to bring was a disruption of a small view, that his saving grace was, 
was there for just a few, that there should be some type of dividing wall between people, that the light was reserved for the few who looked the right way or came from the right background, and everyone else should just stay out at a distance. You can be interested, but you can't draw near. God disrupts that by coming to us, for all of us. And he came to us with this plan that was so much bigger and so much brighter and so much more beautiful than just light for chosen people. His plan was about bringing light to all mankind, seeing a beautiful new creation come to life in and through all people. As Paul says in Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, God's light came into the world to reconcile all the world to himself. As though with the birth of Jesus, God is saying yet again, let there be light. So Jesus came to give open access to his life. But just ask people, Like, honestly, ask people, do you feel like you have open access? There are still so many people that don't feel like they have access to God, that they can stand at a distance of a good God, but they can't draw near, either because of what they've done or what's been done to them or where they've come from, the homeless vet, the minority who's experiencing injustice and and oppression and intolerance, the single mom who can't afford food, the young man who can't stop the addiction, the stay-at-home mom who desperately just wants to be noticed, the child bouncing around the foster care system, the coworker who thinks the sum of life is working as hard as you can for as long as you can just to get that pat on the back so that you're worth something. They might all feel some sense of God's goodness, that it exists, but it exists only for a few, not for all. It's reserved for them over there, that if anyone feels like that, if we know anyone who feels like that, it should absolutely break our hearts because it broke God's heart enough that he showed up for us. And where that's the case, where we know that's the case in people's lives or we even suspect that's the case, we should join God in disrupting that for other people. You know how we do it? You remind as many people as you can that in him is life and that life is a light of all mankind. Maybe Advent for you more than anything else is about you disrupting darkness for somebody else. So if you come to this Advent season and things aren't good, things are bad, maybe you feel like there's just darkness all around, things feel dark and God seems silent. Disruption what you need. And maybe in this season, you think, I'm good. I don't need any distractions. Uh, I'm, I'm busy, but I'm, but I'm fine. Family's good. We're here. We're sitting here right now. That's good. Steady as she goes. Disruption might be just what you need as well. Because maybe the traditions and the parties and the schedule and the chaos of the season is the distraction that stands in the way of the disruption. Maybe it is an utter darkness. Maybe it's just a dull gray that's being masked by busyness. Light wants to break in and disrupt that too. See, Jesus didn't descend from the heavens to be born in a manger, to become one of us, to make us feel numb or busy or even merely to feel good. Jesus didn't come to sit quietly in the corner of our lives. He came to disrupt us. He came to disrupt us when we say, I guess this is how things will always be. And he came with love's pure light to disrupt us with the bigness and the boldness of his love so that his light can be on display through us as well. Is there space in your life for that? 
Is there any willingness to be a blank piece of paper upon which Jesus can shine his light to reveal his character to the world around you? Or are you already fully developed? John 1 puts us face to face with a God who disrupts darkness and chaos to bring light and life for all. Jesus was the light. He was the burst of light meant to imprint love and hope on us so that we can display it for the world. But if we keep the light out, we miss what could be. Because without the disruption of the light, the potentially beautiful thing never gets seen. So I'll leave you with this question and then we'll pray. As we enter Advent, are you willing to be disrupted by love's pure light? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for disrupting us. Thank you that we don't have to live or exist in, in the static, in the never-changing dullness or the never-changing chaos or, or the never-changing darkness. No, you came and you brought light into that and it changed everything. Father God, if we find ourselves in a place where we just desperately need you to show up in a new way, to shine new light on something we are experiencing or on our way of thinking, maybe you came to, to, to change our hearts, if not our circumstances, uh, God, I pray that you would do it. And for those of us that, that enter this season and we don't really feel much of anything other than I guess this is how things are supposed to go, I pray that you would disrupt that too. There are far too many who need hope and joy and love and peace, the stuff you came to bring. Help us be part of bringing that with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.